Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Well Church Satterton's podcast. We pray that you enjoy this message and that it creates a well of hope in your life today. I do want to let you know one other thing I reserved for myself to announce. Many of you know we had special guests last week. We can't use their names or say their location on the internet because they're actively being persecuted. And one of the things that God put on my heart when I had engaged with them is they have a desire to be a little more self-sustaining. Where they're at, there are two radical other religion fractions that are fighting and causing all kinds of different supply chain issues and things like that. So they're wanting to be self-sustaining. So they're buying milking buffalo. So they have milk for the orphans that live in their orphanage. And so it was on my heart for us to come together as a body and come up with $1,500 to buy a milking buffalo. And I want to let you know that we did that. People have have given. And it was so amazing because we were $200 short last week, and the Holy Spirit spoke to someone on their way home to give $200. So God's moving among us, and we will be buying a milking buffalo. Now you need to watch out. On the internet, there's going to be a Name the Milking Buffalo contest. All right? I have a name that I want to name it, but I was told there has to be a contest. So if you want to suggest a name, you have to let Kathy know, or me, and I'll let her know. Uh, I think it's a Facebook vote. But I reserve the right to eliminate anything that might be culturally misunderstood. This was so brief. I mentioned it two weeks ago. Kat mentioned it last week, and it was done. And for us, the size we are, the means that we have for people to step up and do that, it was awesome. If anyone wants to buy a second milking buffalo, I'm sure no one will complain. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Second Chronicles 20. We're also going to be in Psalm 43 today. But we're going to start off in John 4. You don't have to turn there. We've talked about it a few weeks ago, and it's probably fresh in your mind. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak into your life today. I'm going to be starting a series, and I'm not exactly sure how long it will last. I think I have a good idea of all the things the Holy Spirit wants me to cover, but it feels like it's going to take quite a few Sundays for us to wade through it. So we often say that our primary goal, we often say that our primary goal is that each person that engages with this church family spends time together in the presence of God, that that person becomes healed and whole and is able to become everything God created them to be on the earth. So the last time I spoke to you guys, we looked at the reality of a Jesus that constantly invited people to be in relationship with him and also challenged people to grow and change. One of the examples that we studied was the story of the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus challenged her about her life. She did not have a great track record with marriages. And in fact, she was living with a man that was not her husband. But in the same conversation, Jesus is inviting her to find the love she craves in him, to quench her thirst with him as the living water. Someone that has rolled the dice on five marriages longing for love, acceptance, and security. And Jesus is saying, Come and find those things you're longing for in a relationship with me. A relationship with him is the only thing that can quench that kind of thirst. 
So in John 4.10, this is the message. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. So let's just pause and think about that. Everything we are longing for, the things we thirst for and look to this world and the people in it to provide, and all the disappointments we have when those people can't give us those things, we can only find those things in Jesus. I'm going to read it again, John 4.10. I'm just going to change a couple words to make it personal. If we knew the generosity of God and who Jesus is, we would ask Jesus for a drink and he would give us fresh living water. Every answer is found in him. And then interestingly enough, the woman and Jesus talk about worship. So we're still in John 4. Here is what Jesus says. We've talked about this a lot too. In verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come. This is the time we live in. When true worshipers, what kind of worshipers? True worshipers, thank you, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. How will they worship? For this is the kind of worship the Father seeks. So make a note that God is seeking a certain kind of worship. I want to talk about this later in the series. Verse 24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I'm going to read that again. God is spirit and his worshipers must. That's the word must, not the word should or can or could. It's must worship in spirit and in truth. And there's a reality that I can't create a program to cause the kind of healing that people need. That's a reality. As a church, we can't create a program that causes healing in people. But time in the presence of God and worship, paired with the truth of His Word, is really the only way each of us can see the kind of healing and growth that we want to see in our own lives. So the sermon series I'm launching into today is called First a Worshipper. First a Worshipper. And the next few times that I'm teaching, I plan to cover why we worship, who we worship, and how we worship. And this series isn't going to be a pep talk to motivate you to engage in worship, nor will it be a guilt trip to manipulate you into worshiping. Each week that I share, we will discuss worship's role in our lives as God created it to be and look at stories of worship in Scripture. Also, we'll look at a moment in church history that involves worship. And during the course of the message, we're going to break down the lyrics to one of the songs that we worship together with. So today, our primary focus is the theology of worship. The theology of worship. Now, when I say theology, some people in the room's reaction is, oh no, he's going to ruin worship with rules. And other people's reaction is, finally, he's going to tell all those weirdos the rules. And theology is actually neither of those things. Theology, as defined in Webster's dictionary, is the study of religious faith, practice, and experience. Especially the study of God and God's relation to the world. So all those people who use theology to make up rules for us. Theology is simply the study of God's relation to the world and the people in it. So the theology of worship is the study of the practice and experience of Christians worshiping God and God's relation to it. 
A better way to say it is we're going to look at worship in the Bible, worship in church history, and worship in the church today, and identify God's response to it and discuss how it impacts us. So if you journey with us for any length of time, you will know that one of our core values is the presence of God. The well, this church, is established around the idea of creating a place for people to spend time in the presence of God. One of the primary ways we do that is worship. Worshiping God must be our primary focus. This series is called First a Worshipper because everything else we do launches out of our identity as worshipers. There's a lot of focus on our new identity in Jesus. The Bible lays out a number of changes in our identity that happen when we receive Jesus and what he did for us. But when people teach on these changes, our identity as a worshiper is often overlooked. Worship is one of our ultimate priorities, and our identity as believers is first as worshipers. As followers of Jesus, our main job is ministering to the Lord, and that everything we do as far as ministering to people should be an overflow and an outgrowth of our primary ministry, which is ministering to the Lord. We're created to be worshipers first, and that's why we're launching into a series called First a Worshipper. Our God does not demand that we worship. Our God does not command us to worship Him. Instead, He's designed a system of divine exchange. We bring our simple songs about Him to Him, and He reveals Himself to us. Then in the supernatural process of our spirit connecting with His Spirit, He often repairs and refocuses us. We aren't worshiping for what we can get. And you've probably heard people teach that worship should be God-focused and not us-focused. That songs should be all about God and not about us. See, the interesting thing that challenges a lot of people is that God is all about you. Imagine you're a parent. Everybody do it. I know some of you aren't. Imagine you're a parent. And your child comes to you, and they're talking about how awesome you are as a parent. They're telling you how grateful they are for you and mentioning the many great things that you have done for them. Then you notice they're hurting, or you see something in their life that's harming them. Do you lean back in your chair and say, hey, keep telling me how awesome I am? Or do you help them with what they're struggling with? And this is the kind of interaction that God wants us to have with Him in His presence. Yes, it's about God, and He should be our primary focus, but we can't limit Him by deciding He doesn't want to love on us as we engage in worship with Him. So here's an example. It happened here last month during the end of one of our worship times. God led me to go after addictive cycles that are harming people. Some of you guys might remember of that. Probably many of you have forgotten it. It wasn't the smoothest thing I ever did in worship, but we did it. We went after addictive cycles that are harming people. And there was grace to be set free in that moment. And you might not know, or you might know, that someone was instantly set free from a tobacco addiction in that moment. It's their testimony to share, so when they're ready, we'll have them do it. But one moment, one small interaction with God in His presence, someone just stopped smoking, just stopped. No patch or program just interaction with God during worship, and God set them free. C.S. Lewis said, It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence to men. 
It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence to men. That intimacy, interaction, spiritual connection should be a normal part of worship. It's not just singing the songs. Worship by God's design is a way for us to shift the atmosphere around us and to interact with Him in a supernatural way. Turn over to or navigate to Second Chronicles 20. Last week, our guest speaker said, when you are immersed in the well, and he was talking about here, and he was talking about worship, when you are immersed in the well, in worship, you have victory. Then he referred to this chapter, Second Chronicles 20, so I thought we'd look at it. Whatever you're facing today, connect it with the attacking army we're about to read about, and look at the response of the people that led to their victory. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 2. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, and Gedai. So that's meaningless to us. It's already close, right? Verse 3, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the courtyard, verse 6, and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over kingdoms and nations. Now, this isn't our focus today, but I can't just pass it by. Some of us are concerned that there are currently attacks against nations that God established on the earth right now, our own nation or others. God rules over kingdoms and nations. We look to him for solutions in those areas, and we trust and pray that he is able to preserve the nation he established. So then it goes on to say, Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Verse 7, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? Verse 8, They have lived in it and built in a sanctuary for your name. Verse 9, If calamity comes upon us, whether by sword or by judgment or plague or by famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and cry out to you in your distress, and you will hear and save us. And there's a key there we can apply. If calamity comes upon us, you can stand in God's presence and cry out to him, and he will save you. Verse 10, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when you came out from Egypt. So we turned away from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11, See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Verse 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So if you're facing something coming against you and you don't know what to do, this is a great strategy. Put your eyes on the Lord. Verse 13, All the men of Judah with their wives and their children and their little ones stood before the Lord. Verse 14, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazael, son of Zechariah, the son of some other guys, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, 
And he stood in the assembly. So they're praying, they're asking the Lord, and the solution is a prophetic word that this guy's about to give. Verse 15, he says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I'm just going to read that again. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Do not be afraid or discouraged. It's going to be important later. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, tomorrow march down against them. They'll be climbing the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. Jeruel. Verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, for the Lord will be with you. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So verse 20, early in the morning they left for the desert. As they set out, Jehoshaphat said, stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Verse 22, as they began to sing praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy each other. Verse 24, When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder. They found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to to this day. Baraka means blessing. How would you like to rename the place where the enemy is waiting to destroy you? To the Valley of Blessing. So you can read the rest of this on your own, but they worshipped in the valley, they worshipped on their way back to the city, and they went to the temple and worshipped some more. I'm just going to bullet point this for you guys. There was a national crisis, and here's the pattern of events. Notice how many times they worship. First thing that happens, Jehoshaphat finds out there's an army coming, so they fast and pray and seek the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord speaks through a prophet, so they worship. The next morning, they appoint men to worship that walk ahead of the army. As they worship, the Lord set ambushes against their enemy. They collected the plunder and they worshiped. They worshiped on their way back to the city. Then they went to the temple and worshiped some more. So there's a person in church history you might have heard of. His name is Cademan. It's actually pronounced Cadmon, but we call him Cademan. 
We don't know a lot about him, but we do know some things about him. We don't know when he was born, but we know he died between 670 and 680 AD. So what we're talking about happened about 1400 years ago. He was an employee of a monastery in northern England. Cademan couldn't read or write and was actually quite shy. And his role was to care for the livestock at the monastery, and he actually slept in the barn with the cows. So at the monastery, these are my people. I've found my people, finally. Now you guys are my people, but these people. At the monastery, each night, they would gather for a feast. They're your people too now, right? And after the feast, they would go around the room, and each person would sing a song to the Lord each night. So they would go around the room and every single person would release a song to the Lord that night. And every night, when it got a couple of people before Cademan, he would sneak out because he was shy and couldn't sing. One night, as he slept in the barn, there stood by him in a vision one who called him by name and asked him to sing. He replied, I cannot sing. That's why I always leave the feast. The one who appeared to him said, Sing to me. He asked, What should I sing about? And the voice replied, Sing of my creation. And Cademan began to sing in praise to God, verses which he had never heard before. In the morning he sang for the monks and the others in the monastery, and they agreed he had received a divine gift. So Cademan wrote over 600 songs. He couldn't read or write. Other people would read the scripture to him, and then he would go away and come back with a song. So here is the song. Well, it's a translation of the song, because the English they spoke, we wouldn't recognize. And this is the words to the song that he wrote the night he had the vision. Now we shall honor heaven's kingdom's ward. And I love this because we all think this idea about the kingdom is new. So in 640-ish, after Jesus, Cademan singing about the kingdom. Now we shall honor heaven's kingdom's ward, the measurer's might, and his mind plans, the work of the glory father, as he of each wonder, eternal Lord, the origin established, he first created for the children of men, heaven for a roof, Holy Shaper, then Middle Earth Mankind's Ward, Eternal Lord, after created the lands of men, Lord Almighty. So as I already mentioned, Cademan went on to write 600 songs or so, and secular history records him as England's first poet. So consider this, that 1,450 years or so ago, there was a man sleeping in a barn that couldn't read or write, that was too shy to sing in a worship service. And God visited him because he wanted to hear the song that Cademan would sing about him. And maybe God feels the same way about those of us and even those of us that don't think we can sing to him. So I want to introduce you guys to two people. We'll probably use these people as illustrations during this series. First, a worshiper. They're both Christians. They both live pretty normal Christian lives, reading their Bible. In fact, they're both a lot like you. 
I was going to give them names, but I didn't want to offend anyone out there on internet land. So we're just going to call them person A and person B. Neither one is better than the other one. They're really good Christians. They do all the things that we think good Christians can do. They even tithe. One day, person A and person B go together to a worship service. The first song is about how God is an awesome warrior. He works out everything in our lives for his good. He makes a way for us where there isn't one. And the song stays in that vein. The bridge is a declaration about God setting us free, something about chains. And person A is so into this. They are into it. They are fully engaged. They can't lift their hands any higher. They're belting out the lyrics, fully engaged with what the Lord's doing in the moment. But person B is having a difficult time engaging. Person B considers a couple of lies from the enemy about themselves, but hangs in there as the team starts the next song. This is a song about how God loved us when we were still all for sinners. As the team begins to sing about God's unconditional love, person A senses the Holy Spirit lift and starts to question whether they should have come to this worship service. And person B is drawn into the presence of God eyes closed, singing, fully engaged in the moment. This cycle continues as person A and person B engage and disengage throughout the service with each song change. And of course, I'm exaggerating this example, but I want each of us to consider why for some people, the perception is only part of the worship service was on point, correct or following the Spirit. Is it possible It's far easier to engage with a song that is about an aspect of God's nature that we have a revelation about. That the problem isn't the devil, the song, the worship leader, or us as a worshiper. The challenge isn't the music style or the fact that the worshiper doesn't know all the words to the song. The disconnect could simply be we don't have that revelation of that aspect of God. And it's super interesting to me that the song could be the tool that God uses to reveal that part of who he is to us. But often as people, we disengage, blame the song, the team, the music style, or even the devil for our lack of engagement as a worshiper. Maybe it really is that the songs we don't prefer are the ones we don't understand. And that really wouldn't be a problem, except for the Lord might actually be trying to reveal something about himself to us in that moment, but we disengage. So we're going to walk through a song together, and then we're going to close by singing it. So it's the last one in the bulletin. It's a song that we've sung together a lot, and it has a couple of items that should help us shape the way we think about God. The last song in the bulletin, over and over. And as you're looking at the song, I also want you to navigate your phone or open in your Bible to Psalm 43. You're probably familiar with Psalm 43 in the New International Version of the New King James Version. I'm going to read it. It says, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Verse 2, You are my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Verse 4, 
Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Verse 5. You guys are probably familiar with this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So there's parts of what we just read that a lot of people relate to. We could definitely use these ideas from the Psalms as prayers and probably find encouraging them encouraging during moments we feel accused or oppressed. So I want you guys to listen to this. I'm going to read verse 4 and 5 of Psalms 43 in another translation. Let me know if this sounds familiar to you. Verse 4, Then I will come closer to your very altar until I come before you, the God of my ecstatic joy. I will praise you with the harp that plays in my heart, my God, my magnificent God. Verse 5, Then I will say to my soul, Don't be discouraged. Don't be disturbed. For I fully expect my Savior God to break through for me. Then I'll have plenty of reasons to praise Him all over again. Yes, He is my saving grace. We've been singing a song that's really just a translation of something sung in the Psalms thousands of years ago to help people understand God is going to rescue them from the situations they're facing. Remember the psalm started, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. So we all have areas we need to see this aspect of God in our lives. Some of us really got beat up a little during the week and are believing God to change big situations for us. So we sing together and we make this declaration. So follow along with the lyrics in your bulletin. The songwriter has taken the psalm and worded it in such a way that we can declare it in song over our own lives. So what we sing is, I will come closer to your very altar. God of my ecstatic joy, I will praise you with the harp that plays in my heart. I'm just going to stop there. You know all that, release your sound, sing your own song? Like that's what we're talking about. There's a song, there's an instrument in you that I can't play. There's a way that you can tell God you love him that I can't do. There's a way for you to express what God is doing in your life with your own voice that I can't say. And I, I've used this illustration before. I work with a, a woman who has a very bassy voice. She's like, how you doing, Matt? And one day I met her husband, and he's like, hey, are you Matt? <laughs> All right, and I laugh and I make the joke that when they talk to each other, it's, it's like that. Now, they're in love. They've been married a long time. He actually pastors a church. And so, but it's like, if they change their voice to express their love, it really wouldn't be their voice. And what we're trying to do is create an opportunity when we say, hey, release your sound, make a noise, sing a hallelujah, whatever you want to do in that moment, it's just an opportunity for you to, to tell God you love him in your own voice and express what you're feeling to him. And there's also the opportunity, if what you're feeling isn't good, to lay it at his feet. So we want to break outside of those lines. We use a greeting card analogy. My father is famous for this. I won't stare at him. He will, he will pick out a, a, a greeting card that says everything he wants to say in a very awesome way. So you get your birthday card, and there it is, and you feel loved. And then he signs like, I love you, Dad. But when you read that, 
other person's words, you know he means them and they're meaningful. But what means a lot is I love you, Dad, because those are his words. So that's what we do with the song. We bring the song before the Lord. It's written by someone else. We sing it out. And then we're like, yeah, maybe we should sign it. Let's have an opportunity for everybody just to sing what's in their heart before the Lord. So with the harp that plays in your heart, my magnificent God. God. Now we've read these words, sort of these words, these next words. We read them in 2 Chronicles 20. It said, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. We read them in Psalm 43. And it's funny, not a lot of people are singing this. But it's true. It's, it's, I won't be discouraged. I won't be afraid because I know that the Lord will break through for me. And that was the prophetic word in 2 Chronicles 20. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid because the battle is the Lord's. And that's what we read in the Psalms. I won't be discouraged. I won't be afraid because I know the Lord will break through for me. And then the psalmist goes on to say, and this is what we say here, then I'll have another reason to praise him all over again. So the person that compiled this song has added the conclusion that we sing as a response because the Lord's going to break through for him. And when he breaks through, we'll have another reason. And we know he's going to break through. So we already have the other reason. Then we sing together over and over again. I will worship over and over again. I will praise him over and over again. I will worship you. And this is the cycle. We have something. We know God will break through so we can worship. We've seen God break through, so we're going to worship again. And then we sing this part as we worship. You guys might be familiar with this. Oh, let's magnify the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. And see, here's what's happening. We started this realizing we need the Lord to break through. So when we magnify the Lord, the Lord is now becoming bigger than the problem we need to break through in. We're shifting our perspective to God who's going to break through for us. And then we realize he's going to break through for us again. So we worship and praise again. It makes sense? Let's do this with every song we worship with. Figure out what it means. All right, so again, we don't just want to sing the words. We want to know the means. So you guys can stand up and stretch. I'm going to go back here and we're going to sing this together as we close. Just stay engaged with the Holy Spirit and have an expectation. An expectation of encounter and exchange as we worship. I will come closer to your very altar. God of my ecstatic joy I will praise you with a harp that plays in my heart my magnificent God let's sing that again I will come closer to your very altar. God of my ecstatic joy. I 
will praise you. I will praise you. With a harp that plays in my heart, my magnificent God, I won't be.
and oh, let's magnify the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. Oh, let's magnify the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. Sing it out.
We're so grateful for your invitation to go deeper in worship, to learn what it means to be first a worshiper, to worship you in spirit and in truth, not just to worship with our knowing, but to worship with our longing. So we pray that as we go throughout this week, you will draw us into places and spaces where you dwell and we will learn to worship you in all things and that we will see you break through that you'll break through and move in every area we won't be discouraged we will stand in faith we will always worship you we will always worship you in spirit and in truth we will always worship you to sing that out we will always worship you we will always worship you in spirit and in truth we will worship you yes i have another reason to praise him all over again Yes, I have another reason to praise Him all over again. Just lift your voices one more time. Release your song, your sound. We're so grateful for what you're doing among us. We refuse to be ashamed when you've washed us white, when you've brought us out of what we are, were and are turning us into who you created us to be. We just pray grace, grace, grace for the journey for each person here that we will have eyes of faith and not of fear, that we will trust you and what you're doing. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We're glad that what the Lord is doing among us encourages you. For more info about the church, Follow us on Facebook or connect with us on Instagram. Visit dwellatthewell.com or come out and see us on a Sunday morning, 228 Ridge Avenue, Southerton, Pennsylvania. I'm taking a well, I'm taking a well right here. I'm taking a well in the valley of my